This episode of Dirty Linen is proudly supported by Pepe Sayer Australian Cultured Butter, batch churned from single origin cream. I would really like cooks to find a way of being less competitive and actually just spend more time together somehow. And I still feel in cooking there's too much competition, too much bloody master chef, too much, you know, there's too much palaver going on in the background. I really would like cooks to find a way of being more supportive for each other. Today on Dirty Linen, we are heading to Trentham to speak to John Reed from Redbeard Bakery. It's it's the bakery itself has been there, I don't know, since like the late 19th century. John can correct me. Um, it's one of those beautiful masonry scotch ovens that's always warm and always feels like it's about to tell you something. Um, it's, yeah, it's such a special place. And John is one of the OG sourdough guys in Victoria. John, welcome to Dirty Linen. Hey there, Danny. How are you? I am really good. And as I talk about Redbeard, I do just feel the warmth of that amazing brick oven. Um, it is such an incredible feat of engineering and food creation. Uh, tell us about it. So Scotch ovens were invented back in the 18th century um, in Britain. Um, they, they're called Scotch ovens because there was a guild of Scotch oven engineers that basically went all around the English-speaking world um, building these amazing, beautiful brick, solid brick, um, massive um, heated ovens in every um, part of the English-speaking world. So the British Empire obviously extended um, you know, all over the globe and wherever the, the empire went. The Scotch oven builders went in uh, in the foreguard and actually built ovens. So in Australia, we had our first oven, our first Scotch ovens built with the first fleet. Just explain what it is because it's, it's not just like an oven sticking on the wall or standing on the floor. Tell us about it. So it's, it, it's basically um, a, a huge, massive lump of, brick masonry that you heat up and once it's hot it um, basically bakes um, continually you never let your scotch oven go cold um, because it takes a hell of a lot of heat to actually heat it up they're incredibly efficient like they're still the most efficient oven ever built um, if you keep them going so they're designed to work you know six days a week the baker had the day off on Sunday and baked all the you know all the lovely lamb roasts and stuff for the local community on the on the seventh day on Sunday, the day of rest. Um, but yeah, they, the the way they work is um, they're they're wood fired traditionally, and you basically fire the oven for about three or four hours uh, before you want to bake, uh, and then you let the fire go out, and it, it the fire has actually imparted all its heat into that massive, huge brick structure, and that brick structure then just emanates heat for the, the, the rest of the 24 hours. So you, you get basically round-the-clock baking ability for almost, you know, nothing in terms of, you know, uh, fuel and energy. They're, they're still by far the most efficient ovens ever built. How do you feel about your oven? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's, a, you know, it, it's a, 
it's a living, breathing, beautiful, beautiful thing that um, is the heart of the bakery, yeah. yeah. And how long have you been there? Um, 15 years now, roughly, at, in Trentham. Yeah, and before that I've worked with other, um, with other Scotch ovens around the country. Mm. And what's it like baking bread in, it doesn't feel like saying in the oven is the right thing to say. It's sort of like in partnership with the oven, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's very much in partnership with the oven. Um, it, it takes many years to get to know your oven. So when we take on our beautiful apprentices and take them through, it, it takes many years for them to get up to speed and actually get to grow with and learn and and learn to love their oven <laughs> and, and you, you know they, they just get better and better you know so yeah yeah it's really amazing it is such an incredible community that builds up around sourdough and last time that I was in the proximity of your oven was for the grains festival because so grains with a z and it's um it's a, a gathering of bakers and people who work around f- fermentation um to celebrate things that you can do with grain. Um, I mean, what is it that, that, that makes people want to gather around something like this? Well, I think, you know, Mary Asher, you know, a couple of weeks ago you had on the podcast was saying, you know, I, you know, it, it's, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a community of people that are incredibly supportive. Um, we, yeah, we we and I guess yeah for me that's probably maybe the most important thing I can say on this podcast today is is that um, we need to just collaborate a hell of a lot more and and actually support each other a hell of a lot more I think particularly in the cooking the cooking community there's you know we we so silo ourselves and we so you know we're individual business operators and we we really um, we're, you know, we're solo operators. You know, we, we do our own thing. We, we press forward and we make our own achievements. And, you know, at the end of the day, what Grains has shown me as a, a small business operator is there's so much, much, much value in collaboration and working together, um, you know, at, at so many levels. It's just something that I, the, the cooking community could really learn, I guess, from what we're doing in baking. Yeah, I mean, it was such a big thing for bakers to attend that two-day event. But, I mean, because I remember talking to someone and, you know, he, he was working whatever it is, like 1 a.m. till forever, and it's not just that bakers you know, as you say, you know, you've got this oven that needs to be on all the time and, you know, not everyone's working with a Scotch oven, of course, but there is this such an intense cycle of activity where bakers aren't only just in their own businesses, they're also in their own time zone for much of the time. Like it is, it must have the t- a tendency to be quite an isolating career. Yeah, look, I think in the past, absolutely, we've had, you know, mental health issues in baking for forever because we do such you know anti-social hours and you know that that has been something that has plagued the industry you know we we tend to have you know addictive (laughs) personalities and you know um yeah get run run foul in relationships and stuff and you know there's yeah it, it hasn't been a an industry that has for 
quite a while, actually looked after itself well enough. So grains is, is an incredible step forward in terms of us, you know, actually being there for each other as well. Mm, yeah, interesting. Because it, it feels like, the, you know, the people that bake the bread really look after the community. So it doesn't seem right that the people that are doing that aren't um, being looked after themselves. Um, but you can, yeah, you can see why. I have to say, like, I only came for a day and I just really felt like, I was like, these are my people. You know, the uh-huh. thing about the bakers, it's like uh, you're all a little bit crazy, um, but you're so passionate and, um, yeah, just there's no you'd never you'd never wonder if you were doing something good in the world. I feel you know like it's so it's so central and bread is so um, is so important and has such a such a storied history. Like you just do you always feel like yep this is a good thing to be doing? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question, Danny. Because like I struggled, you know, with various career options <laughs> um, leading up to becoming a baker at the age of 30. And um, yeah, I, I just found that every job I did, there was always something missing in terms of, you know, just actually feeling that I was actually making a contribution that was not, you know, there's always a dark side to, you know, Every, every industry, I've worked in publishing for a while and stuff. And, yeah, um, I, th- there's always the, the other side, whereas baking, when I found it and got into sourdough baking, there was just no – there is no downside. You're just doing good in the world. And it's, um, it's, a, it's such a bloody good feeling to be able to do that. <laughs> I'm really glad to hear it because, um, yeah, I, I feel like from from my side it must feel a bit like that. And, I mean, Mary Asher, who you mentioned, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I live near where she's baking in Ripon Lee and to see people lining up for her bread, it's just, I don't know, it's just this real hand-to-hand uh, connection and it just it just seems like it's just such a it's such a nice thing in a community and as a baker to know that people are then going to take that bread home and that's going to be on their family table i think yeah it's um it is really special and it is really worthwhile um so john i wanted to ask you about your health because i know that in february you had some dreadful news can you um talk to us about that yeah sure um so yeah i got diagnosed in February with brain cancer so um, just you know highly aggressive advanced brain cancer so um, I've got not a lot of time you know sort of months probably so um, but you know obviously I'm hoping for a hell of a lot more but um, yeah so um, it's yeah it's it's been appalling shock but um We've just been rallied around, you know, we've, you know, and that's the other thing about, you know, having a, an amazing community of people that you've, you know, supported and um, been part of. Um, it's just, you know, the love and, and support has just been unbelievable, you know, back, you know. So my family in our turmoil at the moment have just been um, so beautifully held and supported and I feel just you know incredibly grateful actually to be you know I'm part of this you know beautiful community um, up here in Castlemaine where I live um, but also you know 
just the baking community as well have just gathered around and absolutely gone all out to support us. It's just really beautiful. Wow. I mean, I'm really glad to hear about, you know, people rallying around you, but I mean, I don't even, I don't even know what the next question is when to, is to ask when, you know, you say that um, to get such shocking news. And I mean, was it, was it really out of the blue? Uh, totally, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, appallingly, totally out of the blue. Yeah, 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 yeah. What happened that you went and like got that diagnosis? Well, I just had a, a couple of really bad migraines and um, back to back, and and my GP said, you know, go for a scan and just see what's going on. And you know, sure enough, there was this bloody massive tumor. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. Mm. And so, are you undergoing treatment? Yeah, so I've had um, yeah, I've had my skull opened up and a whole lot of tumour taken out, but they, you know, they couldn't get at all, of course. So that's not good. Um, and then um, lots of radio and chemo. I'm just about finished all the radio and chemo, and uh, yeah, then um, then they there's nothing more they can do. So I've, I've then on my own doing um, lots of a hell of a lot of cuddling with my family and um, <laughs> cuddling with my baking community and just hanging out and enjoying what time I've got left. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, do you feel like you had a, a sort of philosophical framework that's helped you make sense of what's happening or is it just have you been thrown into a new way of, of thinking about your life and, and life in general? I, look, I think, you know, the, the, you know, the gift of, <laughs> bloody cancer is that it does give you a little bit of time like you know if you don't get run over by a bus or something you know you you get you get a little bit of time to actually yeah do stuff and and overwhelmingly what there is to do for me is just spend time in conversation and you know and cuddling and just you know getting to spend serious amount of time you know off bloody social media and 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 in the arms of people and you know in the conversations with people I love yeah yeah wow and I'm, I feel incredibly fortunate to have this time to do that and the and the headspace you know I'm in a um you know my family are obviously absolutely we're you know it's it's a really really hard time for our family but um but for me, um, you know, and this is a bit naughty, I guess, I, I feel just incredibly joyous to be alive and, and happy with, you know, so happy with what I've done in my life and, and yeah, so so grateful. That's really, yeah, that's really amazing. Um, I feel like, you know, when a lot of people are facing a, a terminal illness, it, it's, you know, other people people find it hard to deal with and they find it really hard to know the conversations that you should be having. And I mean, I feel like that too. I'm, tr I'm trying to interview you and I also just feel like crying and having a little yeah, cuddle over the podcast. But um, what's it like for you? You know, I feel like there must be a lot of people saying, you know, oh, there'll be, a, there'll be a miracle. You'll get out of it somehow. They, you know, you, it's really hard for anyone to take on the idea of someone in front of them dying. Um you know, do you feel like are, are there useful and less useful conversations that people can have with you at this time? Gee, there, yeah, that's that's tough. Look, what you know, for me, what I'm I'm trying to do is 
I guess, well, not trying to do. I'm finding it really pretty easy to do is just be there for people to have, you know, whatever conversation or, you know, a cuddle or whatever they need. I, I just, you know, amazingly, I mean, it, it seems really silly, but I seem to have a boundless amount of energy for that, for actually being in, in with, with people and able to, um, li- listen and 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 hear what they need to say and give them a cuddle. Yeah, yeah. That that seems to be the job at the moment. Yeah, and it's 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 easy. Yeah, it's really it. Yeah, it's really lovely thing to do. Yeah, it's not a burden for you. Not at all. No. That's really it's really interesting, isn't it? Like. Yeah, because I feel like often that burden of making other people feel okay is is often put on the the sick person, um, or the person who's going through something difficult. Whether it, yeah, whether it's I don't know a shocking situation that's hard for somebody else to to comprehend. But it's really I wonder what it what it is that that makes you feel that you know you're up for that and that you can yeah be that person, <laughs> be there for somebody else when you're actually the one going through it. Yeah, look, it just, it just, um, there doesn't seem to be any other choice. It just, it nat- naturally seems to be what, yeah, what, what, how, how I am, you know. It, it just, yes. I mean, and, and look, you know, that it, it's a radical change because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm one of those, you know, crazy, silly business owners that spent, you know, if I looked up my, you know, Instagram, you know, social media, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, number of hours. It's probably like I'm up at four and a half hours a day or something, you know, on social media. So you know, I'm, I've, I'm, you know, trying to, you know, promote the business, run the business, you know, and I'm spending way too much time online. And I've just spent, like, if if I if I looked on my phone, it'd probably say zero, you know, hours on, you know, or next to zero, yeah, hours of online time so yeah I've, I've spun on a dime really and um yeah it's just yeah suddenly life gets very you know real and you know you the, the value i think in life is just in relationship and and being in close relationship with really good people so if you were yeah is that sort of your advice for anyone listening to this who's um <laughs> <laughs> yeah Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a fabulous job, you guys out there. The advice is, you know, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> you, it, it, life is good, and you know, spending lots of time on social media is actually doing amazing good in the world um, in terms of you know all these amazing, beautiful small food businesses and promoting them. Um, so I wouldn't say spend a lot less time but yeah maybe you know eat, eat out a little bit of time more time with your loved ones yeah. mm, balance it out a bit yeah if you can it's just so hard <laughs> it is really hard because yeah, it's, so it's hard. always there isn't it and there is always you know new stuff to discover there's always another rabbit hole um so what what of the bakery how you know what are the, what are you yeah what what are the plans so luckily <laughs> for me, I've got this amazing, incredible family. So 
my sister is the main one who has now taken over running the bakery. Um, and my wife will continue to do it um, with her and my brother Al, who started the bakery with me sort of 15 years ago. But then um, we, um, my wife and I bought Al and his partner out about five years ago. But Al um, has been dragged back in and is, uh, is running the bakery with Jude, my sister. So... Um, Jude is an amazing woman. She's always been there in the back of the bakery, um, running the you know the entire. She's been running the books for the last um, six eight years, and she because she's she she's actually originally a cook. She trained with Stephanie, um, you know, um, back in the days of when Annie was there, and um, so she's. An incredibly competent, experienced, amazing cook in her own right, and she um, she, she she basically has run the the menu and and run everything in terms of like the food at the bakery. So we've always had a, a good rep for food in general, you know, in the cafe and stuff because Judas always overseen the 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 menu there and stuff. So yeah, um, she she's an amazing woman, and she is always. Um, She's never been in the spotlight. She's one of those people that doesn't do the spotlight at all. But she's, you know, I really need to um, totally acknowledge that she, she is, she's the reason why the bakery has been so successful. You know, really in terms of our food offering and, um, you know, basic, basically, I've just done the bread. <laughs> <laughs> well, not just the bread, but the bread. <laughs> This episode of Dirty Linen is proudly supported by Pepe Sayer Australian Cultured Butter, batch churned from single We're origin doing cream. It for flavor. That's all we care about, the best tasting butter that we can make. So we see big opportunity there because majority of people that buy our butter, um, they'll be standing right next to me at the farmer's markets and go, oh, I'll buy some salted butter for my bread, but I'm making a cake. I'll go get some supermarket unsalted butter for that. And I'm like, you make a cake out of this unsalted butter, it'll change your life because it's so it's so rich and it's got its own flavour complexity and the unknown about cultured butter is as soon as you heat it up the flavours are just releasing for more information go to pepisaya.com.au how do you think i mean you've would have seen so many changes in you know the world of sourdough in australia in your time where do you think it's placed at the moment you know what what can we celebrate and what do we still need to work on that's a good question um yeah i started i guess 30 years ago um doing sourdough at a place called natural tucker bakery in north carlton um yeah and then down to rip and lee with a, a lovely um called Dave, Dave Brown, who actually started Natural Tucker with John Downs, like I think almost 40 years ago. So, um, yeah, it, it's been – it's a long tradition in Australia of, you know, trying to re-encapsulate um, and try and reinvent and try and rediscover sourdough because, of course, all bread in Australia was sourdough pre-1900. Um, there was no commercial yeast. So, we, you know, bread – you know, we didn't court sourdough back then. It was just bread, you know, and it was 
bloody fabulous, you know. And then then we lost the plot with the industrialization of of bread, of course, and totally screwed it up and and, lo- and lost it all and lost all the trades. We you know closed all the beautiful old Scotch oven bakeries down and bulldozed them, and we you know bought out all the you know, the old family bakeries and closed those down and just went with industrial bread. And, uh, you know, it's, it hasn't serviced, served us as all, at all, of course. It's been a total disaster from a health point of view. So, yeah, we, yeah this, this sourdough re-emergence was, I think, always going to happen um, because, you know, bread has, you know, seriously became seriously broken and we needed to we, we need to address you know the not only the health concerns but the you know the agriculture concerns that come with you know really bad farming so um, you know that's associated with commodity grains and stuff so yeah there's a there's a whole agenda behind our you know our grains movement which is about getting small again and getting localized and getting serious about actually doing grain again properly and then you know that flows on into all the you know baking products in terms of you know trying to support you know seriously um good farming again so yeah yeah i do feel like there is a bit of a movement to consider flour as a as a food rather than just, you know, this stuff that, you know, fills out your cakes and your bread. Yeah, and, and we've, you know, thankfully, you know, cooks are getting on board, you know, which is, you know, <laughs> thankfully there's still, I know, there's still a little bit of a, yeah, hiatus there in terms of communication between what we're, we're doing and, and most cooks. Um, but that's being filled really rapidly you know um it's amazing to see um yeah real really really good cooks you know um working with um beautiful uh local flowers you know yeah yeah no i can name names but yeah they're, yeah they're amazing amazing cooks really doing great stuff with beautiful fresh stone ground you know wholemeal flour yeah yeah i mean there's nothing like you know really beautiful fresh flour from great grains you know with a provenance and it's really once you smell it and use it like it's 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 a pretty fast journey back to thinking about grains well i guess dismantling that sort of commodity mess that we've got into with with something like flour well it's you know it's that whole thing of being flavor driven i mean that's that's why cooks are going to get there because you know at the end of the day that that you know despite you know budgets and you know uh <laughs> trying to, to to balance the you know balance menus and stuff there's um you know inevitably you know cooks are just fascinated by flavor and you know the the thing about the the this new grain movement is that you know where we're finding that there's just such a huge diversity and flavour variety, you know, out there in, in amongst all the varieties of wheats and, and grains that we, we've just neglected for too long. Mm, yeah, it's just been really, it's been really flattened, like the, like those beautiful Scotch ovens have been flattened. It's just so sad to think about all the work and all the stone that went into them and then to think about them being I guess at best dormant, but really at worst just not there anymore. 
That is really sad. Um, this might be a really dumb question, but um, when you with brain cancer, like, do you notice differences in your brain and how you think? <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a few bits falling off. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, I've, I've sort of one of the one of the shitty things is that I've lost vision on one whole side of my head. So I've got, still got um, I've still got two eyeballs that sort of work, but only half of each eyeball on on the left hand side. So that's it's that's a bit weird. Um, I've got this. I, I feel like I can see everything, but I when I wave my hand in front of my face on the right hand side, I can't see my hand. So it's yeah, that's a bit weird. Um, but apart from that, um, no. That, that, well, actually, yeah, I'm losing a little bit of. Um, when I go to make a cuppa, and I, I it, it takes me five minutes to actually find the loose leaf tea canister. <laughs> I've got to go search searching around a kitchen that I've you know lived in for fifteen years, um, and and actually locate the damn tea canister. So yeah, there's a, yeah a couple of things falling off. Yeah. Mm, interesting. I mean, that's a, that's probably a really dumb word to use as well, but. Um... Yeah, John. Is there anything else that you would like to say? Uh, probably not a hell of a lot. Just um, I, you know, I would I would really like cooks to find a way of being less competitive and actually just spend more time together somehow. You know, it's I mean, it's yeah. I, I just see the you know what we've achieved with grains over the last sort of you know eight years or something has just been phenomenal in terms of transforming the culture of baking so that we you know we actually you know really support each other um and and i still feel in cooking there's too much competition too much bloody master chef too much you know there's too much palaver going on in the background i really would like cooks to find a way of being more supportive for each other that's that that if if, if if there was any wish I could have is you know is is for you guys to to really I mean and this is the beauty of your podcast of course Danny is that you you know you're doing it you know this is actually this is this is bringing people together this is having the conversations you know the as you say the difficult conversations and uh, yeah it, it, this is this is a really big one for me looking from the outside not as a a cook, a trained cook, um, is just you guys need to, you know, actually support each other more. And it, it would be amazing if you could find, you know, post-COVID, like, and, you know, with the work you've been doing, um, ways of being together that are not competitive and not, you know, shitty, you know? Yeah. Mm. Mm. I reckon there really is an appetite for change and I think, yeah, COVID has definitely, I suppose, revealed some of the silliness. Like I suppose when you when you think about things that are important and, you know, the pandemic's done that for a lot of people and, of course, you know, a major health situation will do that to a person as well. It's like, yeah, what are you actually trying to win at? <laughs> it's just, yeah, um, surely it is a communal project to feed the world. So, yeah, why don't we all stand shoulder to shoulder and, and do it? And, you know, I, I love the way you in particular just, I mean, I don't know where the journey is exactly for you in the moment. I'd love to hear. But, um, you know, the whole critic thing, you know, um, you know, you, you've just 
spun on a dime and gone, you know, full support, you know, rather than, you know, writing critical reviews, you know, uh, and, and making that, uh, I mean, obviously that the, the public has still got a you know, bloody, you know, it's impossible to sate that, you know, need for the public to actually rank everything. But you, you, haven't, you haven't played that game in the last, you know, 12 months. Yeah, well, that's, um, it's certainly something that I reflect on a lot. And I guess my reviews have always been pretty glass half full and it's been more trying to send people to places rather than steer people away from places. I've always thought, you know, um, not quite if you can't say anything nice, don't say it at all, but more that there are so many good places to send people to that, you know, you don't need to waste too much time steering people away from uh, places that perhaps aren't worth their time and money. Um, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, I think it is a, it's a big conversation and certainly bigger than any work that I do around, you know, this, the space of restaurant criticism, what's it actually for. Um, for me, it's always been about it's a consumer guide, so it's, okay, you know, I'm going out on Saturday night or Sunday for brunch or whatever it is, you know, Wednesday for a work meeting, where will we go? So it's that it's just that basic guide. Um but it's also, I have always seen the project as trying to put things in context. So to try to give people a little bit of information that they wouldn't perhaps know or that it's not easy to perceive just by going to the restaurant. Um, so, yeah, the review that I just had in last weekend of Omnia, um, and we've had Steve Nan on the podcast, um, that was really focused around skills and what do we lose as a community if we don't value the skills that are often invisible to the to the diner but that really underpin a restaurant and, and the restaurant's project. So what I love about Omnia is that they've the dishes work not just as, you know, something yummy on a plate but they're almost like training modules for the staff so the duck you know it's aged for two weeks there's you know it's broken down so there's skill in that it's aged and checked all the time you know to see how it's aging you know it's it's um you know the legs are cooked one way and the breast cooked another there's a sauce which is made from three different duck stocks so one made with the neck one made with the wings one made with something else and it's those sauces are combined at different concentrations to be the basis of the jus and you know it's it's different people that follow that process through in these in this kitchen, and to me, it's like then you what you end up with is this amazingly delicious duck. And of course, you know, <laughs> no diner is going to realise that or know it, and that's not the point. The point is almost that all this works invisible. But my review in like you know a few paragraphs, what I'm trying to get across is so much goes into it, and we need to value it because if we don't, then no one's going to do it anymore. So. I guess that's the point of reviews for me is is like yes it's yes it's a nice place to be and yes it's yummy but what else so that's sort of what I try to get across um and yeah then there's a star out of 5 but yeah. I, I, my stars are usually up pretty high <laughs> yeah um so yeah there you go as you interviewed me <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think you you need to be interviewed more. I I, I love you know your little um, ones about you know getting stuck on a bus and you know <laughs> in the in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> okay, I'll 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 see if I can yeah do more of those. I I didn't know I didn't know if it was okay to do a podcast. It was just a story, but in summer we we tried a few things out. But anyway, it's not all about me. It's actually supposed to be all about you, John. Um, 
it's yeah I mean I, it's it's an absolute honor to talk to you it's I feel like you know it's amazing to talk to you at this uh really massive time in your life and and massive time for everybody that's around you um I'm really grateful to be in your orbit and yeah I, I hope you have many many months left and I know that whatever time is there for you you're going to make the most of it but Thank you so much for chatting today. Absolute pleasure, Danny. Um, and just a, a little um, plug for Redbeard. Um, keep going, people. <laughs> keep keep heading up there. We're still we're still open. We're doing our thing, and we we need your support still, particularly with you know Victorian um, government not actually allowing us to have you know to have enough seats to actually make most cafes and restaurants sort of viable still. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough time and we've lost JobKeeper, of course, now. Yeah, mm. yeah, really timely. So, yeah, let's get out there and eat, everyone. Yeah, please. Yeah. Thank you, John. <laughs> Thanks, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.